Hi there, and thank you for tuning in to the following message provided by Renewed Church. We pray that this message will be a blessing and encouragement for you. For more information about our church, please visit www.renew.miami. Message in this three-week series, and uh, actually, next week is a special sermon. It's a special message. It's going to be a powerful one. You don't want to miss it. Um, but it's not part of home improvement. Home improvement starts September the 8th. We want you to take these, take some of these home, grab some extras, and invite some people for this uh, kind of our fall kickoff series. We're excited about what's going to be happening there. So if you know somebody that doesn't have a church home, invite them to home improvement. Share all of those, that, that uh, social stuff that we're doing, the video. Uh, help us get this word out so that people that don't have a church home can come and find uh, just community, can find family in Renew Church. Uh, we're going to have bounce houses, ice cream every week, and it's going to be a lot of fun for the kids, for the families, but I think that it's going to impact you as we talk about building better families. So um, how many, how you guys doing? Everybody doing good? Are you excited to be in church this morning? All right, all right, halfway. Mikey, they were, they were hard to wake up this morning, weren't they, man? They were a little hard to wake up, but that's all right. Sometimes we have days like that. But I just want to kind of talk to you for this point on this, this message and domino effect um, of how tiny dominoes, these tiny little things, I've been carrying this around for the last few weeks, uh, keeping it with me, this, this tiny little domino put in the right place can sometimes make a huge difference. Check out this video one more time, and then I'll come back up. Everybody knows about playing with dominoes, but what you may not know is that a domino can knock over another domino, which is about one and a half times larger. So what I have here is a chain of dominoes. Each one is one and a half times larger than the previous one. And the smallest domino is about five millimeters high and one millimeter thick. And I will carefully place it. And there are 13 dominoes. And the largest domino, it weighs about 100 pounds and is more than a meter tall. Ready? Boom. That was 13 dominoes. If I had 29 dominoes, the last domino would be as tall as the Empire State Building. Isn't that cool? Last time you have to watch that. Some of you are like, yeah, I've seen that before, Trevor. Well, some of you haven't seen it, so I'm showing it for everybody. But tiny dominoes, these tiny things that are put, if they're put in the right place, can make a huge difference. It's hard to believe that, but he said that, and, and, and it just it sticks out to me as I think about the impact that sometimes the little things in my life can do. That, that tiny thing that I could do 29 generations later, which doesn't seem like that much. We just saw 13 generations knock down a 100-pound domino. 29 generations would knock down the Empire State Building, all starting with just the tiniest of moves. So that's the point behind the message. That's what we've been talking about. And we started by talking about serving others. And when you serve, you're part of the miracle. Every time Peter and those other disciples reached their hand into the basket, 
a miracle took place. Every time they did that, a miracle came out. So much so that 5,000 men plus women and children got their fill from just these 12 men and just these 12 baskets of loaves and fish. You can be the miracle and you can do a part. And sometimes that little thing that you do, providing the little bit or doing that little bit of serving, can make a huge impact on the people around you. Last week I shared how your words can have impact. How your words can be a tiny domino. This nameless girl told Naaman's wife, Naaman the commander of the army of Aram, she said, if only my master would go see the prophet in Samaria, he will heal him of his disease. The king of Aram, Naaman's uh, king, he says, by all means. He says, do whatever it takes. But that's not what it took. I mean, he was giving him his, his uh, two tons of, or half a ton of silver and $2 million in gold and 10 sets of clothing, whatever that does. Um, but all of these things, but that's not what it took. It's not always what you have. It's not always the means that you have. It's, sometimes it's who you know. And she knew, this girl, this nameless girl, knew that God could heal Naaman through Elisha. You see, your current condition is insignificant compared to your spiritual disposition. That's what we talked a little bit about last week, that you've got to consider where you're at, but knowing where God is in the midst of things and how God can make an impact, and your words have power. You know, this series could go on and on, and I could do all kinds of different messages, and we could actually have taken it a whole different direction. This series could have been about the small things that are in the wrong place, right? That if tipped in the wrong direction can produce horrible results, can't they? Like, I just, it was just a little thing that I did, and that little thing ended up becoming a catastrophe in my life. And maybe some of you have experienced that, and it started with just one little thing or one little comment, one little reaction. There's some of those examples in the Bible that I could have preached of, of Adam and Eve there in the garden with that forbidden fruit, or King Saul and his jealousy towards David and Judas and those 30 coins in the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. Story after story after story of tiny little things that started a domino effect in the wrong direction. But we're talking about these seemingly insignificant things, but done correctly, that can produce great results. In our lives, as well as in the lives of others, the insignificant that often makes the biggest difference. So the final small piece in this series on spiritual disciplines, the final one that we're going to be talking about is a discipline, is, is, is the, the uh, domino of discipline, spiritual disciplines. Some of you know what I'm talking about. When I talk about discipline, it's not a great word. It's kind of like a, a word when you're, you're thinking of getting in trouble growing up or dealing with the police or dealing with um, maybe a teacher or a principal or whatever the case may be. But I'm talking about a different kind of discipline. And here's the definition of discipline. Discipline is a set of rules, standards, activity, or a regimen that develops, improves, or produces a skill or results. I'm talking about the kind of discipline in your life that can produce results in your life. For example, physical discipline. The idea behind a physical discipline uh, is like, for example, exercise and eating healthy and other things that you do with your body will cause you to be physically fit. By eating, eating the right foods and doing the right things, um, you're going to feel better. 
your clothes are going to fit a little bit looser or a little bit more properly. Like the invention of stretch jeans and stretch denim, like that's cool and everything. But like I think I've gained 10 pounds since they invented that because my clothes never warned me that, hey, Trevor, you need to back off the cake a little bit because my pants just continue to kind of like stretch a little bit. But physical fitness will cause you to feel better, your clothes fit a little bit better, and even live a little bit longer, right? But also being physically fit will help you better to respond to a physical need if someone reaches out to you. If somebody needs you, if you have these physical disciplines, they're going to call on you for something that, that uh, maybe only you're strong enough to do for them, right? Or only you're capable of doing in helping them. And physical discipline when tempted to eat a half a dozen Krispy Kremes When those are in front of you, because you have physical discipline, you can resist the temptation, can't you? If you have physical discipline, that is. Physical discipline can cause you to be more physically fit. My little brother, he's actually my brother-in-law, he's a fitness nut. Like, he just loves to work out. And the funny thing is, he's about 12 years younger than me. The funny thing is, when he was a kid, when I was dating my wife, and he was like a fifth, five-year-old, six-year-old, like, he was just a, a, a round little guy, just a kind of a chubby little guy. And he grew out of that stage and became, like, this active soccer player. And um, just, he's ran marathons and done all kinds of stuff. And he's a fitness nut. I went to see him right before he got married this last month. And um, I wanted to spend some time with him, some quality time with him. So I wanted to do some things that he liked to do, and he likes to work out. So uh, I said, he, he was out in the backyard at, at his dad's house, and he was working out. And I said, man, if, if this is a way that I can spend some quality time doing something that you love to do, well, let me do it with you. And I had done this before, this thing called P90X. Remember that? Everybody remember P90X a little bit? It's been a long time since I did it, but I was like, you know what, if you're doing it, I can do it. So I put my shoes on and decided I was going to go do the plyometric P90X video with him and try and jump around and flip and spin and all, not really flip, you know what I mean, but all of these crazy things that you do on that P90X program. Needless to say, I was pretty sore. That was the day before his rehearsal dinner, so two days before his wedding. Still, I was like, hey man, that was just an hour of time. You've, you've got some time on your hands, and I only see you once a year. Let's do something, something else you want to do. What else do you want to do? He also likes to ride bike. He's, a, he's, he's an avid cyclist, and um, he, he rides um, longer distances, and he was like, let's go for a bike ride. Yeah, we'll get my dad's bike out, and you can, we'll air up the tires, and you can do, use my dad's bike, and we'll just go on a bike ride. So I was like, man, this is something significant. It's something he loves to do. Okay, let's do it. We aired up the tires, and that was supposed to be five or six miles, and we rode 30 miles that day. We rode 30 miles, and that's not a big deal if you're a cyclist, if you've done that before, but I'm not. I haven't disciplined my body for that, and I was riding his dad's old Schwinn bike. Like, that, that thing's not made for more than, like, three miles, and I was, like, pedaling my hardest to stay up with this guy for what was supposed to be a three-mile stroll that turned out to be 30 miles around the city. So Thursday, I'm jumping around squatting and spinning for an hour and Friday I'm riding on a mountain bike for three and a half hours uh, going 30 30 miles all over the city and then on Saturday I'm doing his wedding and I'm thinking to myself man this was a bad idea to do all of these things I'll never forget it though 
I wasn't moving as fast as he was, that's for sure. I didn't have the discipline. You get it? I didn't have the physical discipline that I needed to do the things that he was doing. You see, though, it's not just the immediate result. This is important to note. The disciplines cannot be measured just by immediate result. But if you continue constantly to discipline yourself, you will notice this difference in your physical shape. You'll notice a difference in your muscle. You'll notice a difference in your endurance. You'll just be stronger. But I'm not just talking about physical disciplines this morning. Really, that's not what I'm talking about. In the same way, though, that we exercise our physical, we also have to exercise our spiritual. And when we exercise these spiritual disciplines in our life, we will begin to see results in our life. We'll begin to see something that makes a difference. You see, just as in physical exercise, you have to do things like bench press and dumbbells and sit-ups and running and walking and swimming and all of these things. In spiritual disciplines, you have to do certain things to be more spiritually fit. There are spiritual disciplines that you can do, small things that you can do that over time will begin to make you spiritually stronger to meet whatever need or circumstance that may come your way. Have you ever noticed how people sometimes will call on a person that is more spiritually fit when they're in need or when they're going through a difficult time? And they kind of like couch it in the terms of, hey, man, you, you kind of know the man upstairs. Could you pray for me? Could you, could you um, give me some advice on this? Because you seem to have this relationship with God that I don't have. You see, those people, for the people that are looking, I mean, and, and I'm not saying that it's theologically correct, but people look to those people and say, you're the one that can call on God more so than I. I mean, there are some verses that back up the fact that the prayer of a righteous person is effective and powerful. But I'm just saying, like, we can all have a relationship with God. We can all have, be in, in communication and constant talking with God. But that person that has spiritual discipline, that's more active in prayer, in knowledge of the Bible, that attends church when they're, in, uh, when they're going through some of these things that they're going through, man, that person is spiritually fit. And we find these spiritual exercises, we find prayer and reading the Bible, worship, coming to church, fasting and uh, spiritual retreats, all of these things are impacting. But we have to keep a clear goal in mind when we do these things. The caution is, is to not do them just out of routine. There has to be a clear objective to why you're doing it. You have to ask yourself, is, what is it that I want to achieve? What's the goal if it's not clear, then the discipline does not make sense. Just as if you decide, hey, um, I'm exercising. Yeah, you want to exercise to feel better. But, like, is there a goal? Like, do you want to go down a pant size? Or do you want to um, lose a few pounds? Or do you want to be able to run a 5K? Or whatever that goal is, you have to have a goal. And in the same way, there's got to be spiritual goals in your life. What is the goal? What is the reason why you take time to do spiritual disciplines? Why do you pray? Why do you read the Bible? Why do you go to church? Why do you have these quiet times or listen to worship music? Your answer might be today, before this message, it might be, well, because they told me I had to do it. Or because it's what my parents did. Okay, great. But what's the goal then? What's the reason then? What's the purpose behind it? The goal is not to pray just to say that you prayed. That's not the purpose. The goal is not to read the five chapters that you read just to say that you read or to listen to worship music to say that you worshiped. The goal is to have connection with God, 
to be in connection, to be in relationship with God. One of the greatest examples in the Old Testament of spiritual discipline was a man named Daniel. His Babylonian name was Belteshazzar, but you probably know him as Daniel. And several stories in Daniel chapters 1 through 6 are amazing stories that, that maybe you learned as children and, and uh, you've heard about. But Daniel was this man of discipline. All of the things that he was able to do in his life, he did because of the discipline that he had in his life. From the fast in chapter 1, when he was committed to a diet that avoided the king's food, and after a 10-day test, he proved that he was stronger and wiser than all the other wise men in the king's service. That was because of his discipline. That was because he had a spiritual discipline. To the prayer and the accountability with his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that helped them to understand and interpret the king's dream. To the decree that could have ended his life, and yet he would not stop being spiritually disciplined. Here's what it says in Daniel chapter 6. And here's what you kind of can get from this. Daniel chapter 6, starting at verse... Do you have verses 1 through 10? I don't think you guys do, do you? I'm going to read it. It pleased the king. No, it pleased Darius, which is the king, to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. And now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct in his conduct of government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Okay, here, I, I, I want to talk to you for just a second about this. Um, so Daniel is in, in, uh, in the king's service. He has risen in the ranks from just being like a, a captive in Babylon to, to being recognized as important amongst the, the, the king and the king's men. He has, has, has even gotten in this kind of like order as one of the top leaders that was going to be over in the entire kingdom of King Darius. But the other guys, his peers, the other people that were involved were jealous. And they saw that they wanted to, to kind of like trap Daniel. But they could not, it says in verse 6, find anything, any charge against this man unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Like they were looking for a reason like some, to dig up some dirt on Daniel. And they said there's nothing bad about Daniel unless it has to do with the law of his God. Here's what it goes on to say. So the administrators and the satraps went to the king, and they said, King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. And here's the key verse, verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, 
he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Man, here's what I want you to get from this. Here's what I want you to get from this man named Daniel who was very disciplined. He stared death in the face. He stared a 400-pound hungry lion in the face, and he wouldn't give up his commitment to God. For Daniel, his commitment from years before was showing through in the way that he handled this pivotal moment. You see, all he had to do was stop praying. All he had to do was close the curtains. All he had to do was kind of like give up, a, a, a say, a few words of quote-unquote prayers to the king, but he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't bow down. He wouldn't stop his commitment. He wouldn't stop his discipline. It didn't matter the threat that came against him. Daniel was disciplined to the point that he said, even if I have to face a hungry lion, I'm not going to give up on my commitment to God. His spiritual discipline was that important. If you finish reading that chapter, and I would encourage you to do that this week, you will find that Daniel was spared. You'll find that God closed the lion's mouth, and it says that Daniel prospered under the king's reign. And his enemies ended up getting thrown into the lion's den. The same guys, the same ones that tried to trap him in his own trouble or in his own, in his own um, uh, uh, commitment, ended up being thrown into the lion's den where they were killed. Here's the point that I want you to get from this message. This is that your private life will impact your public life. Your private life will impact your public life. And when you have to preach a sermon about it, it'll come out even more. Because you can't live one way privately and another way publicly. It will come out even more. It might work for a little while, but then it will begin to show in fact, this last week I was uh, in a, in a uh, class with some other pastors, some other colleagues, and, and we learned this principle. It's called the gap principle. Guys, you have this, this uh, illustration. You have the gap principle. So, so here's the gap principle, and basically what, what they teach is, is that in an organization, there's, there's going to be, as if, if it's a healthy organization, there's supposed to be growth, Right. So in the beginning stages of the organization, you have uh, like in, in the launch period, the organization and the individual are kind of very close to one another in, in, in their um, where they're at and their capacity. But as the organization grows, what will happen is, is the individuals that are not growing, it will magnify. And as the organization grows and the individuals plateau, that gap gets bigger and bigger, and more transparent, and more obvious, to the point where here's the organization up here, if the organization is growing, if the organization is healthy, if it's doing what it's supposed to do, and here's the individual down here, and he never did anything worse, it's just that the organization's going up here, and the individual's staying right here, and there's this gap, there's this gap between the organization and the individual, something has to be done when that happens, Something has to be addressed when that happens. The person has to be addressed. The pastor has to be addressed. Whoever or whatever, the leader has to be addressed. Why? Because they stop, he says, looking at the organization. Even if the organization continues to grow, they stop looking at the organization. They come back to the other leaders and they look at the leaders and they say, Hey, um, 
I don't care that your church is busting at the seams and doing some great things. What's the deal with that guy? And they don't look at your organization. They look at that guy because that guy represents the organization. So not just the organization can, has to grow, but the individuals have to grow. The people in leadership have to grow. I'm preaching to my Renew crew. I'm preaching to my teams. I'm preaching to everybody that has a position of responsibility in this church. Because it makes an impact. Organization can't continue to grow while the leader plateaus. The gap becomes too wide and people stop looking at the organization. And they start looking at the individuals inside of it. This was my personal struggle. Some of you remember that I had planned to preach this sermon as the first week in the series, but I wasn't ready because I couldn't preach it because I was personally battling with my own spiritual disciplines. Man, I've been dealing with anxiety and feeling like I'm not hearing anything from God. I'm reading out of routine and I'm praying to preach, but really it didn't feel like I was hearing from God. I would get up and read five chapters in my Bible app and I would listen to some worship music. I would pray through the list of people that I commit to praying for on a daily basis. I would drink my coffee, write in my journal, listen to some Bethel or Elevation, and still not hear from God. So I couldn't preach it. Till last week, this last week. And I got up and I went to a spot, a spot that I call my farm run. It's just a few miles from here down a field, down a road that that just kind of takes me a little bit away from all the noise and all the distraction. And as I went out there and I spent some time with the Lord and I kind of like just began to kind of do some exercise, but just kind of hear from God while I was out there, God revealed to me that you don't need more prayer lists, more chapters to read. You don't need more worship music. You need me. You need me. See, I could, read for, I could read five chapters. I could pray for 20 minutes or two hours. I could listen to the right music and have just the right amount of coffee and still not get a word from God. And he revealed to me that day that you don't need five chapters and all these other things. You just need one word. And he showed me this verse that I'm familiar with and you might be familiar with, but it's Psalms 42 that says, As the deer... Pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Found that I needed more than all the routines, more than just continuing to do the thing for the sake of doing the thing. I needed a word from the living God. My soul was thirsty. I needed to hear from God. The Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 3, and I don't think they have this on the screen. I apologize. But in Philippians 3, it says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's saying, I want to know Christ in such a way that I look like him, I walk like him, I act like him, I smell like him, I suffer like him. I want to experience the power of God in the same way that the deer seeks after the streams of water. Man, may God put that same feeling in us. May God have that, give us that same desire that the Apostle Paul and the writer of the Psalms had. Here's what Paul concludes in verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or that I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do I forget what is behind, and I strain toward what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So what's the goal? What's the goal? Is it to read more just to read more? No. To pray more just to say that you pray more? To listen to more music to say that you worship longer? No. The goal is just to know Christ. And if that means what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, I I don't run like someone who has no goal. I fight. I do not fight like someone who blows the air. Rather, I strike my body and I dominate it as such to know Christ Jesus, my Lord, in such a way to be like him. We don't do it just because it's a good thing. We don't do it because we have to to gain entrance to heaven. We don't do it because uh, our parents did it. Or because it's another thing to check off your list. We do it because we want to know Christ. And to experience everything that he has for us. To have this growing relationship with Jesus. It's that small thing. That tiny microscopic thing that can produce enormous results in your spiritual life. And it's worth mentioning, though, and I, I know we're kind of running a little bit on time because I want to I give one last illustration, but you can't do just like you can't do the physical disciplines and you can't try to work out for 60 minutes a day and then run to McDonald's and eat like four quarter pounders and think that it's going to offset. It doesn't. I've tried it. Trust me. I used to do it. I gained weight at that time. Like, in the same way, spiritually, you can't, like, say, well, if I, if I watch, you know, Two really bad movies, but um, I read two really good books in the Bible. <laughs> it kind of offsets. No. It doesn't work like that. Like there's got to be something happening in your inside because of what you're reading, because of what you're experiencing, because of what God is doing in your insides, that it's going to start to flow on the outside of your life. Because what you put in, is what you get out. No matter where you're at, no matter what you're going through in your life, no matter the struggle that you have, man, take time to hear from God. 
Take time to listen to God. And if it's not working in the way that, it's, that you've been doing it, then change it up. Try something different. That's what I had to do this last week. That's why I went on the farm run, because I had to find something that was working, because the coffee and the Bible and the, the little bit of time that I was giving just wasn't doing what I needed it to do. But don't just only base it on a feeling. I was with my friend Alicia here the other day, and we were ministering to somebody that was in her and Lori's small group, and, and but that's a plug for small groups that are starting in a couple of weeks, because when someone's going through something, hey, we can call on each other and encourage one another, and so that's what happened, and they got called on, and so they went to this person's house, and they began to pray for this person that was dealing with something that was really heavy, and that's when Alicia began to invest into her and speak to her and speak truth into her life and say, you know, this is what you have to do, and you don't do it just when you feel like it, you do it even when you don't feel like it because God even in the midst of your struggle and even in the midst of the distance that you're feeling God is drawing close to you as you draw close to him and as you put yourself out there to allow him to speak into your life keep doing it it's not based on a feeling it's based on a doing so keep doing it but don't do it just because of routine do it with the goal in mind do it with the anticipation and the expectation that you're going to connect with God. Because remember, your private life impacts your public life. There's a story of a young man. Well, he was young in the beginning of, his, of this story. His name is Gypsy Smith. He's a preacher and an evangelist in the Methodist church. He wasn't the greatest of preachers, but he had this fire and passion that he wanted to use. He wanted to use the passion that he had to reach as many people that he could for Jesus. He found the Salvation Army. This was in the early 1900s. And the Salvation Army was doing all kinds of work for God. How many of you know Salvation Army is just not the place you give to the guy ringing the bell and drop clothes off? Salvation Army is a church, actually. It's a ministry. And he was, became a part of the Salvation Army and had some of the greatest meetings that ever took place during World War I. He was one of the primary leaders. He would go into war camps, even enemy camps, and began to lead people to Christ, sharing the good news, the message of the gospel. And people would come to know Christ. Countless soldiers, both sides, surrendered their lives to Jesus. You might not have known his name, Gypsy Smith. But I assure you, heaven knows his name. So many people have crossed over into eternity because of his name. Even government and military leaders that surrendered their life to Christ. Near the end of his life, he was asked this question. He said, Gypsy, how did you see revival break out around the world? Even in times of war, you would go to places for just a few short days and meet people that you had never met before. How did you go to these places, meet these people, pray for these people, and then see revival like you did? Like people would come by the droves and, and, and give their life to God. How did you do it? What happened? How did revival happen? His response was simple. He said, if you want revival, go to a private place where no one else is. Draw a circle on the ground. And pray. God, send revival to this circle. 
And he says, and when God sends revival to the circle, revival will be on. So I did that this week. Listen to that message. Listen to that illustration. Thought about what Gypsy said. And this last week I was in my home, home alone. Girls were out doing some things. I didn't draw a circle in my, in my dining room, but there in one of the 18 by 18 tiles in the middle of my dining room, actually off to the side, I just decided this 18 by 18 was my circle. I just stood there. And I said, God, I've been struggling. And God, I'm supposed to preach this message. It's the last message of the series. And I've been reading and I've been praying and I've been doing my journaling and I've been listening and all of these things. But God, what I need more than any of this other stuff is revival. And God showed up in a matter of just a few minutes, in a matter of just a, uh, uh, just a few songs, revival began to show up in my own heart, in my own life, in ways that I haven't felt it in quite some time. And even as God showed up, I started praying about a certain circumstance that had had me burdened all week long. And God began to show me my fault in that circumstance. And as I was praying for revival, and as then I began to pray for that person, the prayer wasn't so much for that person anymore. God was not just healing that person. God was healing me. You know that? Like when you pray, you think that you're, 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 God is going to answer the prayer by helping that other person. So often it's God's helping you. God is showing you the speck or the log in your eye, excuse me. He begins to reveal to you your part in the matter. So this morning as we close the message, I, I, I encourage you to, to keep in mind that your private life impacts your public life. Take necessary steps to draw closer to God do the little things that can make a big difference. And if those things aren't working, change it up a little bit. But do something that you can do to just draw closer to the heart of God. Try the circle things. Make this place and just say, maybe even right where you're standing this, this morning, just say, God, here's my square. Here's my spot. God, before you do anything for my spouse or my kid, for those people around me, God, do something for me. Bring revival to me. We're going to sing a closing song. This will be an opportunity just for you to come before God and just say, God, do a work in me. Musicians are coming up. We're going to hit the lights in the house. In just a minute, I'll come back up and I'll give the, the final invitation.
your chalk, draw your circle, you don't feel like it, remember what Alicia said, don't do it when you feel like it, do it when you don't feel like it, just say, God, I don't want this, but I know I need it, there's a battle inside of me where I want it, but I don't want it. I'm tired of doing this out of routine. God, I'm tired of not hearing from you. God, the feeling is fading. Send revival and start with me. I need your revival. As the deer pants for the water so my soul longs after you, O oh God. 
I need you. I need to hear from you. I need to be in communion with you. God, I need to be hungry again. There's too many things in my mind, too many distractions, too many things that are trying to sweep over me that are taking my, my eyes off of you, oh God. Send revival. Start with me. will be on. Thank you for the things you do, God. Thank you for what you want to do. God, I pray that you would help us to remember and realize that our private life, the things that we do when no one else is looking, it's just you and I, impacts our public life. Draw us close to you, we pray. In Jesus' name. hear it for Pastor Trevor and delivering that powerful, powerful message, man. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, a reminder, guys, that we do have growth track right after this. Like I said, it's a good opportunity to see where you can get plugged in here, kind of find out a little bit more about yourself, reveal some, some gifts that God has, has placed on your heart and see how you can that you can use them to glorify his kingdom and be a part of our family. We'd really appreciate it if you consider coming to that. Um, and also, this is the part of our service where we worship God through the giving of tithes and offering. It's a blessing to be able to do that. So let's pray for that now. God, thank you for another Sunday, Lord, to come before you, God, and worship you, God, and receive what you need, what you have for us, God. Lord, I pray that you bless this offering today, Father, that it be used to glorify your kingdom, God. Lord, we thank you for the resources that we're blessed with, God. I pray that you bless all the families here, Lord, for their sacrifice and their giving to your kingdom, Father. I pray that you keep us safe for the rest of this Sunday, Lord. It's in Jesus' mighty and powerful name I pray. Amen. That is it for this Sunday. You are now dismissed. Have a great rest of your day.
Shout it out, shout it out.